Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Here we are, another week. Here we are. Another listener question. Another week, another question. This might be a repeat listener. Thank Mm -hmm. you for writing in. Uh, This week's question is from Jerry, so we'll get to Jerry's question. Um, For those of you who are listening, if you've ever found this to be a useful podcast for you in any way, shape, or form, please take a minute to just leave a review on your favorite place you listen to podcasts. Our goal is to create financial literacy across the US, and we can only do that by having you share the podcast with people. So please, please do that. Um, And if you have a question like Jerry does, please write in and let us uh, know what your question is. These questions help other listeners um, just as they help you. So if you have a question, more than likely there are other people who have the same question. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can do that at realpersonalfinance.co or you can also link through many of the podcast um, notes and submit questions. Yep. Okay. So for this week, uh, we have, hi, Scott and James, you you both, uh, in my mind, are the best podcasters in the industry. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Um, I look forward to every Wednesday, and they almost perfectly timed to also get a a mile walk in. Awesome. Yep. We want that drive time or that walk time to be the perfect mile. So thank you. Let's make this episode 10 minutes and get Jerry to make walk a really, really fast mile. (laughs) Let's do it in eight and make him run. Eight minutes. All right, Jerry. Bring yeah. it on. No, we'll, we'll let you walk today, Jerry. Um, but here's the, the question is, it's about non-qualified deferred compensation plans. I already maxed out my 401k, mega backdoor Roth while well, well, we still can. Uh, Roth backdoor conversion, HSA, FSA, ESPP, my wife's SEP IRA and Roth. For the remaining cash, I've typically invested in taxable accounts and dividend stocks for future income. But most recently, I've started using my company, NCDC, which is non-qualified deferred comp plan, uh, for part of my salary and bonus. We are 50 years old and plan to retire in 10 years and elected a 10-year payout to minimize taxes in those remaining high-earning years. There's also a likely chance that I change jobs every two to three years, at which point uh, would potentially trigger early distributions. What are your thoughts on NCDC plans and the distributions? Man, that was like an alphabet soup of um, types of accounts. Yeah, I think if there's an account <laughs> out there that has tax benefits, Jerry's uh, Jerry's maxing it. So yeah. right on, Jerry. Thanks for the tongue twister. We can definitely dive into this. Um, where do you want to begin? Uh, that's a, a couple just quick housekeeping things. Just aside to get them out of the way, because this is the main part of the conversation. But Jerry, you mentioned that your wife is maxing out a SEP IRA and a Roth IRA. One thing, just real quick, to be careful on with that yes. is if she has a SEP IRA and you're in the backdoor Roth IRA contribution for her, there's the IRS aggregation rules, which you will need to be mindful of to make sure that no part of that backdoor Roth conversion is taxable. So there are 
few episodes we've done, I know, talking about backdoor Roth IRAs. Go back and listen to those or or just confirm this because if she's doing a SEP IRA and you make too much money, but then you do the non-deductible IRA contribution that you convert to a Roth, part of that Roth will actually be, or part of that conversion will actually be taxable. So yes, absolutely. be careful with that. Um, yes. And so to, just to, as a reminder, this is something that we call the pro rata rule for you listeners at home for backdoor Roth conversions. Where basically, if you just if I make it, let's just make it simple and say you had nine thousand dollars in an IRA, and you, in a different IRA, put a thousand dollars in one and converted the thousand to a Roth IRA. Well, you might think, well, I put my thousand in, I didn't pay taxes on it, I converted it to Roth. Uh, there's no tax consequence for me. But the problem is, is that the government's going to come back and say, hold on, James, like you had a thousand dollars in that one IRA. That's true, but you had nine thousand in this other one. So your total IRAs were actually ten thousand. Uh-huh. So when you did that thousand dollar move, we actually are going to tax ninety percent of that because ninety percent of your money before the conversion was was pre tax. Yeah. So you want to be really careful about that. Um, and a workaround potentially would also be that um, if your wife has a SEP IRA and you wanted to continue with that, which going into the new year, so far we still have. Uh, back to where Roths are available, at least as of this recording. As of this recording, which is what, <laughs> December 20th that we're actually recording <laughs> yeah, this? looks like Manchin kind of s- steamrolled the, the Senate to a halt. And you know who knows what happens from here. Um, but if you can do that in the coming year, you might want to look at, uh, we had an episode on SEP IRA versus solo uh, 401k. If you have a solo 401k instead of a SEP IRA, you could still do those Roth conversions. Um, one other thing I would add, sorry, Jerry, we're, we're adding some uh, kind of like tangent type things here, but one risk we obviously see a lot is people under saving for retirement. Yes. And the risk of that is if you don't save enough for retirement, you're not going to have enough to live on and you're going to have to keep working longer than you want to, or you're going to have to cut your standard of living more than you want to. Another risk we'll see quite often is sometimes people are in such a habit of saving and maxing and deferring and contributing that they are significantly overfunded for retirement, which on paper isn't necessarily a bad thing. But going back to that intentionality that we'll talk a lot about, is that really the best thing you should be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you are maxing all that stuff out and taking the trips you want to do and I don't know, just living the lifestyle you want to live, then awesome. But if you're maxing things out and it's ever costing you the ability to do the things that you want to do or where you'd rather be spending money, then just take a big step back to realize it can be potentially detrimental to to max out all these accounts if it's costing you in other areas and if you're already kind of well covered for your retirement goals. So fully, fully agree with what you're saying. I mean, the way that we talk about it all the time on the show, it's the way we talk about it with clients. You have time, money, energy, and talent. So the key question is, what does a great life look like to Jerry? What does a great life look like to his wife? What can the two of them do to help support each other get that? And then money is just the means by which we exchange things for the life they want. And to your point, let's not overdo tax savings and retirement savings or qualified accounts to shortchange the life that we ultimately want. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. In the meantime, let's let's assume that Jerry is living the perfect life that he wants to live. He's Obviously. traveling, he's playing pickleball, he's volunteering, he's doing all those fun things. He, if wants he has to time do. to okay. walk a mile while he listens to us. He's clearly doing a good he's, job. Yes, exactly. So that being said, he's saying, yes, James and Scott, you can stop talking about that. Let's move on to the tax savings. 
let's let's talk about it. So he's maxing out a lot of these things, the 401ks, the Roths, the ESPP, which isn't a tax benefit, but has an investment benefit to it. Yep. What about the non-qualified deferred compensation plan? Is that a good thing to do in addition to all these things? And I think maybe the best thing to chat about would be just pros and cons of a plan like that. Yeah. So there's one place I'd go to framework on this, which you kind of touched on ahead of time, which is just like, you were making the assumption that everything is good for him cash flow wise. Mm -hmm. But the thing I'd go to next is look at the balance sheet and I'd want to know how much do we have that's liquid. So taxable accounts, checking accounts, emergency funds, what's ready and available there that I can go touch and use if I need to, before I start looking at putting more money into was essentially a qualified uh, plan. Even though this is called a non-qualified deferred compensation, it basically has these rules within it that make it very hard for me to go touch unless specific set of circumstances happens. Right. So I would think of this as a a retirement or I would I kind of think of the buckets as liquid, meaning I can go touch it really easily, or qualified, meaning there's some type of a tax rule on it that I can't just go touch it right away. Yep. And I want to know how much do you have that's liquid and available? How much do you need? Um, before we start looking at putting money into a plan like this. Yeah, because for example, if Jerry's here and he's got, uh, let's just say a few million dollars and IRAs and 401ks and all this stuff, but has $1,000 in a savings account and right. nothing else, obviously an extreme example. And he's got big mortgage payments and he's got other expenses. Well, we're going to say, look, let's let's balance out that balance sheet a little bit more. Absolutely. And give you some more, called an emergency fund, just some more liquid reserves should you need it? Um, I mean, it's something that I've, it's not that uncommon though. When you, if you, especially if you've been working in corporate life or on the executive side of things, you've been earning more money. Maybe you put money into the houses. You want to keep maxing out the deferred, the, all the compensation that you can. And you just kind of live in a sense, paycheck to paycheck along the way. And you may not have a big nest egg set, set up. And so my main concern in that, in that instance is typically with non-qualified plans, once you choose an election, you're locked in for a year. Right. It's kind of the norm. Right. And so if we choose to go defer a lot of our salary and our bonus for the year, and then maybe we have like restricted stock income or we have non-qualified income that we non-qualified options we could trigger. Well, if if the stock performance is horrific that year, all of a sudden we're making a whole lot less. And now we have a cash crunch mm-hmm. when we need cash. So I just yeah. want to make sure we have enough cash ready and available yeah. for the year. Totally. Totally. So let's assume that those things are all in order mm-hmm. of Jerry's living the life he wants to live. He's got his balance sheet arranged well. Um, the the benefit of if he says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this, the benefit of the non-qualified deferred comp plan is that whatever you put in there, it's you're not paying taxes on it today. Now, typically, if you're doing this, if you had this type of plan offered to you, it's probably because you're in some type of an executive role or high up role, and you're probably making a decent income. So let's assume, for example, Jerry's income is five hundred thousand dollars for this example, and let's assume that he puts in fifty thousand to his non-qualified deferred comp plan. What that means is Jerry's only paying taxes on four hundred and fifty thousand. The rest is going into a plan where it's going to get invested, and as long as Jerry is is contributing to this plan, those dollars are being invested, as we're talking about here. And then you have an election to make of when you leave employment. You can have that money paid out to you in one year. You can have it paid out to you over five years. You can have it paid out to you over 10 years. You're making some election that essentially says whatever the final balance is, is going to get paid out to you over that time period. It's not like a 
IRA, for example, where you can just pull what you need and leave the rest for later, it, it will be paid out to you. So there's some planning issues that go into that as well. Yeah. And, and just to be more a little bit, you know, for those of you who've never even maybe heard of a non-qualified deferred comp plan to, to, um, to James's point, it's usually for executives or you're at some threshold where you're considered to be allowed into the plan. And the reason it's called non-qualified is because it's, it's outside of the traditional 401k plan system where it's called ERISA. So is the, is the rule are the rules that we utilize for 401ks, for instance. So basically what it's saying is, hey, once your income gets above a certain threshold or whatever the specific plan rules are for that deferred comp plan that exists, you're allowed to have access to it. Mm-hmm. And they'll say you can have certain access for your salary or for your bonus, or they can say other types of compensation that can be included in the, con- in the contribution, but it's all plan specific. So you're going to know your specific plan if you have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to, to your point, you, you have to choose when you sign sign up, how are you going to receive these funds right. when you leave? So are you going to choose a lump sum right away? In this instance, Jerry chose to take it over 10 years once he leaves. So if he leaves, he gets his payout. Uh, just make it really simple and pretend there's 100K in there. He would get 10K a year if we don't account for the future growth of the plan yep. for a 10-year period. So you want to be mindful of all of that. Another thing to remember here is that non-qualified plans, the way this gets to work is it gets really tricky. And basically what they're saying is you're saying like if James elected to do this at his firm, he'd be saying, hey, this money's not really mine. It's really the company's. So it's open to creditors if something goes awry with your company. So you want to make sure you're doing this at a company where uh, hopefully the other executives have skin in the game and are going to make sure that uh, creditors don't come after this money because it's technically not yours. You're really just investing in the same, usually the same lineup as your 401k, but they're keeping track of it for you along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like ERISA, which is what it's the law that governs 401k plans and other retirement plans that really protects the kind of the integrity of those dollars to ensure that retirees are taken care of. These are outside the confines of that. So there's more risk in the sense that that money is forfeited. If something ever happens to the company and creditors come in and those non-qualified deferred comp dollars could be used to pay creditors yeah. if needed. Is it likely? I don't know. I don't know anything about the company that, that Jerry works for. Exactly. Um, there's a lot of companies where it's, it's no issue. The company's Fairly strong. Unlikely. And it's, yes. Yeah, it's not super <laughs> yeah. likely. But <laughs> just go into that with eyes wide open. Yeah. Um, I will also say that, Jerry, as you're talking here, it, it seems like you're doing a great job of saving to things like your 401k and SEP IRAs. And if you have a pretty substantial balance in those, let's assume that you do work 10 more years until you're 60. And I know that you said you're going to change jobs potentially every two to three years. I want to come back to that. But if from 50 to 60, you keep maxing out SEP IRAs and 401ks, maybe you already have a good balance in those and they keep growing well. Then from 60 to 70, this deferred comp plan pays out. Mm -hmm. So you're receiving income from that. Well, what's happening all along there is those SEP IRAs and 401ks, those might just keep growing and growing and growing and growing if you're not living on them. And then at age 72, based upon current laws, you're going to be required to start taking money from your SEP IRAs and your 401ks. So if you're not careful in looking at everything, this deferred comp plan might be great, saves you taxes today, gives you income for the first 10 years. But if those 401ks and SEP IRAs are almost growing unchecked and you're not able to do some strategic Roth conversions or tax planning the first several years of retirement, you may run into another tax issue, which is that you've got really, really significant required distribution starting at age 72 and beyond. So kind of another one-off thing here, but just 
as I'm reading this question and, and having seen people kind of come to me with that scenario, there's other potential tax hits that could be on the horizon. Even though this is addressing one in the immediate term, it could present other potential yeah, tax challenges in the future. There's, sad, there's not nearly enough data to know like what's the answer, but right. you're so right. I mean, it's it's just, you're getting in really geeky territory now because we're, we're looking at like, how do we help you? What dollar amount, you know, what state do you live in? What's your, what's your current tax bracket for you and your wife? And how much would you be defer? What are you reducing on your tax for a tax savings right now for every single year that you're every dollar you're putting away into the, the qualified. Yeah. What are your expenses in retirement? How much incomes come from this deferred comp plan? Let's just guess. Let's just get, I'm just kidding. Way too much information. (laughs) Just guess. Um, Yeah. But that's something, it is something to be mindful of. There's no doubt about that. Totally. I mean, tip it, if you're in the highest of tax brackets, this is probably still a good thing to be doing. Right. Um, but then that also comes back to the idea of what does the plan document say for how uh, how often you're allowed to change the number of years? Because if you can start to refine, which is like the fun stuff we get to do with clients, like let's refine how much we actually need in retirement for these gap years that are going to occur. Well, you might choose instead of 10 to make it five so that you can do a little bit of what James was describing and and taking like the lump sum payments, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's all dependent upon each individual. There's Mm -hmm. no one answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, He also mentions that he might change jobs every two to three years. How would that, uh, Yeah, as you hear that, how would that tie into planning? My my ears perk up the moment I think about that, because the moment you're thinking about going and, and changing jobs, then you typically, the way that those plans are designed, you just have to you don't get to say like, oh, hey, I'm going to wait until I'm 65 to take this because that's what I said. It's like, no, once you leave employment, typically it's written such that the year after you leave, that payment sequence starts however right. you've signed up. Right. So it's all, all plan specific, but you want to know your plan documents and know what would happen if I choose to leave. And if you're planning on going from place to place, um, deferred comp can get, uh, isn't necessarily as beneficial because then you're you're creating high tax years and uh, high income years and in, in years in which you still have high compensation from a new employer. Yeah, you could potentially be stacking a couple or a few deferred compensation payouts on top of each other, assuming every one of your new employers offers it, plus your salary that you have. So it may end up backfiring a little bit. Um, not saying don't do it. I, I, I would say it's probably, again, this is not a recommendation, but this type of scenario that you are in is when something like this makes the most sense. So I, as we're talking about this, like, this is something that we probably seriously want to consider. We're almost just looking at what potential roadblocks exist as you're thinking about like something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I would add to this is, is, is Jerry's asking, what are your thoughts on these plans and the distributions? Well, what you know with these plans is you know when this income is coming to you. As I mentioned, with an IRA or another investment account, you can take income now. You can defer it 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. Well, with these deferred comp plans, you're knowing based upon your election when that income is going to get paid out to you, in this case, 10 years after Jerry decides to retire. So that should also help to inform the decisions you're making around how to invest in this plan versus how you're investing in your other outside assets. Because if these are the dollars you're going to live on soonest, right when you retire, maybe these are the dollars that maybe represent, for example, more conservative portion of your portfolio Whereas the dollars in your other accounts that you might not live on until later times are maybe more aggressive dollars, generally speaking. But based upon the plan that you have, that should also help to give you some direction on how to invest in this versus the other accounts you have. Absolutely. 
And then if you want to go crazy and you don't have, you're open ended on that retirement year, you might just, you could the opposite side of the same coin is you could choose to be aggressive here mm-hmm. and get to a point where you have so much in there that you've nailed the number that you need to have for the first five years of retirement. And in that moment, you switch it to be really, really conservative. So there's all kinds of ways you yep. can do this. It's just a matter of figuring out what the right way for you is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you'd add to that? No, tax deferral now for like is definitely how it works. Um, investment options are typically are going to f- be a phantom version of the existing lineup in a 401k offering at work. Mm-hmm. Matching can occur inside of these. So you might be able to pick up dollars that you otherwise wouldn't get to. I think the biggest thing is that you're forced to take that uh, distribution based on the way the plan document's written. So be careful. Know what you're stepping into. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Well, you think Jerry's done with his mile walk yet? I hope so. Uh, but we can drag this out if he's not. Yeah. I mean, these, it's a fun, thanks for writing in again. Thank you for the question. Please send in the other questions. You know, we, we see, uh, deferred comp plans often, but it's a, it's a lot of fun to get these. And, um, if you guys have any questions, please, please let us know what they are. Thanks again. Thank you all. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.